I'm Lisa Bontesumi, and this is the Ath Mindset podcast series on Sports Epreneur. This podcast series is a space for conversations with athletes, coaches, practitioners, and stakeholders in sports. And it's where those individuals share their perspectives, experiences, and thoughts on mental health in sports. Eric Kazimoff of Sports Epreneur is generously hosting the Ath Mindset podcast series on his platform as he deeply believes that these conversations are essential and deserve to be prioritized. This is the Ath Mindset podcast series on Sports Epreneur. Sports Epreneur, the content platform where sports, entrepreneurship, and mental health collide. If you are looking to start a podcast or create original content, you have to talk with the team at Sports Epreneur. I work with them and I vouch for them. It's that simple. Go to sportse.io to learn more. Zoe, thanks so much for being here. We haven't really had an in-depth talk in a while, but I'm excited to just kind of chat and see where our conversation goes. I mean, I've seen you play softball at Cal when you were playing. I took my daughter, who's a softball player, to see you. And it was really, I got to say, is it striking? It was remarkable and striking to see you there in the middle of the field and be the one at the helm as the pitcher and be the only Black girl out there. It stuck with me and has stuck with me. How did you discover softball? It's a traditionally unrepresented sport for Black girls. How did you discover it? Did it discover you? Tell us that story. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I would say my story kind of started as most softball, baseball players do. I played t-ball when I was four or five years old. I played that, I guess, for a few years, went up to baseball. And then as I got around like nine and 10, my mom was like, okay, you know, let's start getting you in some rec softball leagues. And so I did the Bobby Sox. Uh, that's what it was called in our area. And so, yeah, I did the Bobby Sox thing, did that till about 11 or 12. And then I started playing our local rec league and we were in our semifinals. And there was a rule where I guess the girls can't pitch over a certain amount of innings or pitches per weekend. And so Mm -hmm. whoever Mm -hmm. was our pitcher had met that limit. And they were like, we don't have anyone else who wants to pitch. And I raised my hand. And I mean, I'm going to say I did terribly. I'm almost positive I did terribly, but I had (laughs) a break. And my parents were like, and you know, we lost the game. And we were already losing at the time. And we lost the game. But um, once I kind of realized like, wow, I really want to go forward with this. My parents were like, oh, absolutely. Let's find you some lessons. And so, yeah, we just kind of started that journey that way. And that's where my pitching really began. And after that, we got into travel ball. My first team was the Sorcerers, very popular organization in Northern California. Yeah, that's pretty much where that started out. And I made that team and we were like, okay, well, this is what we're doing. And we got into all the culture and the nonstop every weekend of travel softball. And like, yeah, it took off from there. That's awesome. I hadn't realized that about the pitching piece. That's awesome. Good for you for raising your hand. I don't know if a lot of of girls would have done that. Yeah. I just, oh, that sounds fun. And I mean, it became what I was known for and it was absolutely my favorite position on the field. I had tried catching before and third base and those were all great, but nothing felt as at home as pitching did. Yeah, yeah. But like when you were four or five and you first started, like you could have picked anything. 
Like, were you doing multiple things at that point, other sports or other activities? I mean, you didn't have to do T-ball. Like, what attracted you to that at the very beginning? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was kind of just what my mom was putting me in. She said I was really good at soccer, and I liked that quite a bit. Basketball was great, but as we all know, I'm five feet tall. So, I think it was a no-go from the very beginning. But, you know, I enjoyed basketball, uh, volleyball. I played pretty much everything growing up. At that really early age, my mom had tried things like getting me to do dancing and ballet, and those were just not my things. I was really bad at them. Even the instructor for the ballet was like, you know, maybe you shouldn't bring her back next year. <laughs> and it was just like, you know what? Maybe we should go do something else. And so wow. from there, my mom was like, okay, great. She herself had always wanted to be an athlete. And back in the early 70s and late 70s, you know, that wasn't really as popular. So she didn't really get that opportunity. So she was like, okay, great. She's getting into sports. And so, yeah, we tried everything and softball just really stuck. Like once the t-ball happened, I was really good at catching. I always had a strong arm. So she was like, you know, if you like this, let's just keep rolling with it. That's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, I am that mom right now with the whole travel ball circuit. So I can definitely feel her on that side and to want to keep encouraging you is amazing. I think there, we can't have enough people like that on our side, right? Like just allowing us to have fun, seeing that we're having fun and encouraging us. So that's, that's really great. Your mom sounds like an amazing human. I mean, fast forward, you get to play at Cal. So for those of you who are, not, who are listening who are not from California, that's the University of California at Berkeley. We call it Cal. It is a Division One softball school, highly academic. How did you choose Cal? I'm sure you had a lot of options. Why Cal? You know, funnily enough, I did not have that many options huh. once when I was being recruited early on. So yeah, I guess we'll just start from early recruitment. At that time, and I think there still is now, it's been re-implemented, but couldn't have contact before September 1st of junior year. And I had a pretty good freshman and sophomore season in high school. I was on my 18 gold team for the Lady Magic and had kind of been thinking, oh, I'm going to be getting so many people after September 1st. And I mean, it was quiet. It was like, oh, hey, you know, a couple people were like, mm, you know, we'll think about it. I had some offers from some schools in the Midwest, on the East Coast, some smaller schools and, you know, was definitely happy with those. But it was like, you know, I've got time. Let me let me wait it out and see what I can get. Come the beginning of my senior year, the only two offers I had were for St. Mary's here in Moraga and Cal State Northridge, where I did end up going. But yeah, that was kind of my recruitment process. Not really many people looking for me. Everyone always cited my height as the main issue, but I couldn't understand when the stats matched up with old whoever who's six feet tall, what's the issue? But yeah, that was always people's main go-to for as you're not what we're looking for. That was constantly the answer. So after I ended up going to Northridge, I had the opportunity to play on the junior national team the following summer after my freshman season. There, I got a lot more exposure, I think, to some bigger schools, some bigger coaches, and ended up going back to Northridge for my sophomore season. But I asked for a release. You had to ask for a release at the time. There was no uh, portal or anything like that was granted the release from the coach and the school. And then from there, sent out feelers. I really only went to a couple different schools. I sent out to Oregon, 
Arizona State and Cal and ended up going to Cal. For anyone listening, I'm from Berkeley. So going to school in Berkeley at my hometown was always had been a dream. And once the opportunity arose, it was kind of like, I'd be silly if I chose anything else, especially since a huge part of me transferring was just, I was so homesick. The LA lifestyle is a little bit different than I expected it to be. And so I felt like I needed to come home, get grounded, get centered. And that definitely did that for me at Cal. So that's pretty much my journey. I mean, I had always wanted to go to Cal, but no real interest from big schools. And so once the opportunity came for me to go to Cal, it was a no-brainer. Like the number one public university in the world, in the nation, and a really great softball program. So that was kind of my path for how I got there and why I chose to go there. Thank you so much for that. I mean, there's a lot there. I have curiosities around. I mean, let's take it one by one. First of all, it's the perseverance that you kept going, even though, like, I'm shocked, I have to say. I'm shocked and surprised that weren't many, many, many colleges knocking at your door. I just have to sit with that. Cal State Northridge, yep, that's in LA. I mean, while you were there, you had the opportunity of going to the junior playing for the junior national team, got more exposure. What was that like, the junior national team? What did that look like? How'd that feel like? Where did you get to play? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that was a really nice experience. We got to travel all over the country, made some really, really close lifelong friends I'm still very close with today. And that was, you know, six years ago. I'd say the opportunity was surprising almost because I had gone to the, at the time they were holding open tryouts for the team. And So, I mean, hundreds of girls came from all over the country, met down in Southern California. And at the tryout, I thought I did well, but they were only picking, I believe, maybe 10 players from the open tryout to head to the next tryout the following day. I didn't get picked for that. And so I was just like, oh, you know, I guess I'll have to work harder, see if I can make the national team in a few years. But was kind of just playing my my season like, okay, yeah, you know, we'll see what happens. Mm Then a few of the girls got hurt, and that's how I ended up getting added to the team. They were looking for someone who'd had a good freshman season, as well as someone who was at the tryout. And, you know, I fit both of those criteria. Some good words were had in both directions, and then they were like, you know, we'd like to offer you a spot. So that was like, oh man, it was getting actually that call and getting to the airport. I mean, it happened within 18 hours. Like it was a quick round, like goodbyes to everybody packing up. And then I headed off to Oklahoma where they play the World Women's College World Series. So that was like our this field. So that was really cool experience to just be there and see up close. If you've ever been to the World Series or ever dreamed of it, like it is that amazing. The stadium there is really, really nice. When you kind of get that feel playing on it, like, wow, I'm in the big leagues here. So that was definitely like a really great experience. And we saw a lot of the country. We went to Ohio, Oregon, Oklahoma. I kind of wish we had gone, you know, further. Some of the other teams got to go to like Africa and Japan and stuff. But I definitely went to some places in the States that I had never gone or didn't know about. And we had a good time like everywhere. Also, I guess I should talk about the competition. The team was so, so good. We had girls who went on to be All-Americans, a really good friend of mine, Jenna Lilly, Sydney Romero, all these people that played on top teams, girls from UCLA, Tennessee, you know, all the big name schools. It was like the best of the best. And one of the things I think kind of 
stood out to me was that there were only a few of us who were smaller school girls. And a lot of the times when we'd be out on exhibition games and doing autographs and stuff, people would be like, oh, where do you go to school? And I'd say, you know, Northridge. And they'd be like, I don't know where that is. I'm like, oh yeah, let me tell you about it. And for me, that was something I wasn't used to in a way. Because in high school, around my area, everyone's like, oh yeah, wow, you go to Salesian, cool. That's great. And so it was a different feeling for me. And I think was one of the things that propelled me. Like, I do want to go to a bigger name school. I feel like that's something that I want. I've worked for. Like, I want to say, you know, I go to the top Pac-12 school or whatever it is. And people be like, wow, okay, that's great. And kind of just be that bigger name player. And I wanted to take it to the next level after being exposed to that, I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is what I've been looking for in terms of my college experience. That's amazing. I mean, again, there's a certain mindset you've had throughout all of these experiences that I'm, just because someone says no, or there's no open door, you look for the next door to open on your own. Like, I think that's really great for anyone to hear, athlete or not, like, young girls to be able to like not give up and that there are ways to reach your dream, but maybe in ways that you've never imagined or never thought you could. So I think that's a great, great piece of your story that everyone can benefit. So thank you so much for for sharing that, especially at the beginning when you're literally being told you're not what we're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine where you went with that. How did you feel about that? And what went on in your own head when people would say that to you? I mean, you're a young girl. These are adults saying this to you. How did that feel? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the big parts of those conversations was that my dad was always in every conversation that was being had. So there was no me going back and saying, oh, well, the coach said this and coach said that. Like he was there experiencing how they were saying what they were saying prior and after. And I was able to. I guess in a way have that protector and like have that translator for him to say, oh no, this is what they're saying to you. Like I was often very maybe apologetic about how I was thinking about it in terms of when a coach would say that, I'd be like, oh, well, you know, maybe they're looking for more so rise ball pitcher. And I threw drop balls for the majority of my time before college, especially. And, you know, I was like, oh, you know, maybe they're looking for this type of pitcher. Maybe they're looking for someone with a higher strikeout ratio. And my dad was like, no, they're no, I'm going to be real with you about this. And he was letting me know, like, no, that's not what's going on here. And I think for me, it was easier to kind of just take the easy thought about it and just be like, oh, you know, I'm just not what they're looking for. And sometimes that's exactly what they would say, but it was hard for me to think negatively about it, I guess. And especially, we have to mention it. You brought it up. Me being the only Black girl in the circle, I mean, that's something we are seeing more of today, which is so great to see. But I think that played into a lot of the coaches, what they were meaning, but saying, you know, oh, you're too short or too whatever. Or it's like a lot of the camps I was going to, I was excelling at the camps, striking all the girls out, getting grounders. Even if I'm not blowing everybody down, I was getting the outs. I was producing. And coaches would come up with every reason from here to Texas about why I 
wasn't their fit. Oh, yeah, I don't really like your mechanics. Okay, well, show me what you'd like me to do. I can, yeah, we just don't think it's a good fit. And a lot of our camp outcomes were like that. But again, something that was just very important for me was that my dad was always there in those conversations because he was like, I got your back regardless. And I definitely think that was a big part of what helped me get through all those rejections was like him being there to pick me up when there were days I didn't want to go practice. I'm like, what am I practicing for? I'm going into my senior season doing great. Everybody's like, oh yeah, you're my number one. You're my go-to. I'm calling on you when I, when I need some outs, when I need a reliever. And still the coaches were just kind of like, yeah, we don't see her over there. And so my dad being there to pick me up, like, hey, we're going to go practice today. Even if it's just us doing spins, even if it's just us taking a jog, we're going to stay sharp, stay on point. And once you get that opportunity, like you're going to be ready for it. And that's basically exactly what happened with my recruitment to Northridge, my freshman season, then, you know, following the junior national. It was just always about keep going, keep getting better, even if no one's paying attention. Then what I thought it was like, wow, wow, I made it to Cal. Like this was the dream all along. (laughs) So, yeah, I would say that's how I got through that. That is huge. I mean, I brought it up for the first sentence of this interview. The fact that you're a Black woman playing an underrepresented, non-traditionally sport not played by Black women. And you are the pitcher. Yeah. That's even more rare to see a Black pitcher, especially back when you were coming up. It's more, like you said, it's more and more visible now. It's still not where we want it to be, where we need it to be, where it should be. But I think that that is huge. And again, I mean, your parents are so solid, so grounded. No wonder you missed them when you were gone. Yeah. You know, and you were homesick. Great. I mean, I can totally relate to that as well. But the fact that you're saying we are going to do something every day on a regular basis, even when no one is watching, is huge. That is the hardest thing to do. I mean, athletes who are listening right now, parents, coaches all know that that's the hardest thing to do. And the fact that you had strong support to push through even when you didn't want to, I'm almost wondering if it was just too painful to even really get in touch with the reality that, you know, your dad knew it, that, oh, we don't see her here because she's Black. We don't see a role for her or position here or part of our culture of the team or the school to have her here. Right. That's painful. I mean, did your dad break that down for you? I mean, he knew. It's not about your pitch selection. It's not about your spin ball. It's not about your height. Like, did you guys have conversations about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say early on when it was starting to happen, he was just kind of like, hmm, okay. And nothing was really being said. And so I was still going on thinking, okay, well, you know, I just got to work on this. I got to work on what they said. I got to tweak this and add this to my repertoire and on and on and on. And we had, I remember one in particular, it was, uh, you know, I'm not going to mention who, but it was a big, big name school. And we were on the flight headed back home. And he kind of mentioned it to me. And I was like, oh yeah, I got to work on what they said. And he was like, no, there's nothing you need to work on. Like at the time, I believe I was 17, maybe going on 18. and 
had been working with my pitching coach just day in, day out, seeing her three times a week to really, really hone in on my skills. And at one point she had kind of said like, okay, you're ready for college ball. Like, you know, we are where we've been working to get. And the camp was shortly after that. And I mean, I excelled at the camp. And on the flight home, my dad was like, you know, if there was nothing better you needed to do in the chances that you had to, you know, show your skill, there was nothing more that should have been done. And I was just like, you know, no, no. And I mean, he broke it down for me. Like, the problem is not that you're too short. The problem is not that you don't drag your foot all the way. The problem is not that your land is a wrong angle. And I mean, people were coming up with the most ridiculous reasons now that I'm looking back on it. But he was like, you know, these aren't the issues. And I understood and was very aware of racism and prejudice and things like that growing up. I just really didn't want to think that because most of what I had experienced in softball from the people I knew personally hadn't been like that. So to assume negative intent on others that I didn't know was not something that I really did or even still do. And so it was hard to think that way. But after you cross off every other thing that it could be, it was like, there's nothing else to really think of here. This is what it is. And I would definitely say that changed me in a way because when it came to playing against those schools or seeing those coaches, there's no cordial here. There's only, I want to beat you. That's it. And I definitely think that propelled me in a lot of games and even practices sometimes, like just like, you know, not being satisfied. I would definitely say that's kind of the attitude I took about it after that one particular time on the, on the flight home when he explained it to me. I was like, all right, yeah, I have to change how I'm thinking about this now because it's not as nice as I've been trying to make it seem. Sometimes it is about the race thing. It is about me being Black. Yeah, and that's a painful pill to swallow, I'm sure, because of who you are. You want to see the good in everyone and give people the benefit of the doubt. And you're working really hard to perform at the highest level in your sport. And for something that's out of your control... Basically, your race, your skin color, who you were born to is going to keep you from achieving at the level you want. You weren't having it, though. I think that's inspiring. Like, it fueled your fire even more to prove that you belong, that you deserve to be anywhere else that any other softball player gets to be. And I think that's huge, super huge. And I mean, I don't know if you like hearing this, but I think that you're a role model for a lot of a lot of young girls, young black girls, softball players or no, to like just assert yourself, to not take no for an answer, to not let these barriers keep you from who you are, keep you from where you know you can be. So I really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. You know, we've talked about mental health before, mental health being just as important as physical health taking care of it, just like we do our bodies. I feel like there are so many times so far in your, in your story, and we're not even done yet, where you have prioritized your mental health and you've prioritized what you need. As the one that stands out for me the most is realizing you're homesick and getting the opportunity to come home. Like to be among the people who love you and care for you and support you unconditionally is huge for our mental health. 
It gives us confidence, belief in ourselves. We're reminded that we are doing the right thing, that we are showing up in the way we're supposed to show up. So what do you think has helped you keep your mental health strong? I know it dips and dives. We all do. There are times when it's like, I'm not feeling so mentally healthy this month. And so let me regroup. But what do you think was important and still is important for you to keep your mental health as healthy as possible? Yeah, yeah. I would definitely say one of the things, like you mentioned already, is just family, community. Something I learned in a class I've been taking recently is it's about in the Mediterranean diet, when you cook with other people, it enhances your quality of life. Mm -hmm. Just that sense of community, you guys cooking together, setting the table together, cleaning up together, that sense of togetherness is like very important. So I would say, yeah, my family, like, My roommate is my younger brother. So he, you know, we do things together. Hey, you know, I've got the dishes this week. Can you get the bathroom? Absolutely. Hey, I got the vacuuming. Can you get the groceries? Like just that sense of like community of doing it as a team. I think that's something that's really important. And in college, I would definitely say I had that with my teammates. That bond is so strong of you guys going through things together. Dang, you know, we lost. We won. All those highs, all those lows are there. So, I mean, it was, hey, can you pick me up for weights in the morning? Yeah, I know it's at six, but can you get me? I don't have a car. Absolutely. Yeah, got you. No problem. Hey, can I get a ride with you to down to campus? Cal's campus is typically, it's, yeah, pretty much everywhere. It's all uphill. If you're walking, obviously, from the top down, it's no problem. But from one end of the campus to the other can take you a good 25, 30 minutes to walk. So it would be like, hey, can I get a ride up to practice with you? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'll pick you up at this time. And things like that, where it's just like, we're all working together towards common goal. And some days I'm going to be at my 100%, but some days I'm going to be at 60. Can you still be at 100% when I'm at 60? And could we like meet in the middle, make that, that gap meet? I would say that's one of the biggest things, just... The people around me, helping them helps me. Them helping me obviously does me a great deal of good. So that, that would be the first biggest one, just family, friends, community. Secondly, I would say getting out, especially since like COVID's been going on. A lot of people, you know, we do spend more time inside and it's sometimes hard to realize how much indoor Activity is comfortable sometimes, but we do need to get that sunlight. We do need to get out, get fresh air, just get a walk in. That's something that's been really big for me. I have not been as athletic since I stopped playing softball. So I would say that just getting out, like experiencing nature has been something very vital for my mental health. Uh, I go on hikes a lot. Not something I ever really did before, but something I picked up during our quarantine and Yeah, I just realized like how different it is to be outdoors and among nature when I'm not out there just running sprints and practicing pitches and stuff like that. Like I get to kind of stop, slow down and really experience the world around me. Mm, I love that. I love that. I mean, I don't think you've ever really had time to take to actually appreciate that. And that's mindfulness is what you're talking about. Like being present with nature is such a beautiful rejuvenating thing. So thank you for sharing what you do. We pick back up to softball. I mean, your softball career didn't end at Cal. You actually were able to earn the opportunity and privilege to play professionally internationally. Can you talk a little bit about those experiences? 
Yeah, yeah. I did play a season about six months in South Australia. We were in the city of Adelaide. Yeah, that was a pretty cool opportunity. I mean, Australia, like it, to anyone from California, even from maybe the, the US, that sounds like a world away. And I mean, the flight, it felt like it was a world away. It was, I believe, 18 or 21 hours, something like that. Like I missed a whole day. And, but I mean, yeah, the experience was amazing. One of my favorite things about Australia is it's literally just a huge island. So every city that I traveled to, I mean, was complete coast, beautiful beaches, just the bluest water you can see for absolute miles. They have different, what's it called? Tiers, I guess, of teams. So there's like the A squad, B, C, and it's depending on your skill level, but also age. So something that's big there is they have like, you know, all the under 18 age groups, but then everyone from A to D grade can be anywhere from 18 to 70 years old. Like they really have an extensive love of sport and of softball where it's so community-based that everyone does it pretty much. And so a lot of the people that were out there playing on the field with me, like, oh yeah, she's 37. She has three kids. And I'm like, oh wow. Like, And you know, we do experience some of that here in the States with some of our older players playing professionally, but it's like a lot of the people out there and it's a really interesting experience. They'll have games where a girl's 18 and the other girl pitching against her is 45. But it was like really cool like to see how much they just loved playing the game and were out there to have a good time, experience each other, be competitive. But there wasn't like, oh, there's nothing else to do beyond this. It's just, you know, it's done. Like here, it's like, yeah, we do have a couple of professional leagues, but out there, it was really just like, okay, we're out here to be competitive. And you would think, oh man, you know, they're playing for the the national championship today. Like, no, they're just out there really being competitive. Everybody's having a good time and just enjoying the sport. So it was really cool to see like the differences in how they've adapted to softball culture and like what their softball culture is compared to here. It was pretty cool. Sounds awesome. I'm learning something today. That's amazing. I love that. Super inclusive, it sounds like. Yeah. 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 I think, I mean, what I'm getting to are that softball is bigger and larger than actually playing. I mean, the ability to play is a privilege, but then you get to travel across our United States internationally, potentially experience different cultures and make relationships with people that you might have never ever met. Right. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. I want to talk a little bit about Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka. I mean, these are also two black women, you know, Naomi is mixed Japanese and Haitian and then Simone Biles, African-American. They are both high-level athletes. They're both competing in sports that Black women, again, are underrepresented in and non-traditionally compete in. They've come out talking about their mental health, speaking about what they need, how they've experienced the world around them that has impacted their mental health. What are your thoughts on these women coming forward as Black women, as athletes, speaking openly about their mental health. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, yeah. I think it's very important for that visibility 
for Black women in general, for women in general, but definitely those in sports. I think the importance of mental health as a person, of course, is paramount, but also as an athlete, if you're not able to get yourself there mentally, your game is more than likely not going to be there. And then we also have to think about, while yes, they are professional, that doesn't negate the fact that they are human. A lot of people will comment things like, oh, come on, that's her job. That's what she needs to do. And it's like, yeah, that, that is her job. But if you're having a hard time at work, doesn't your work suffer? And I think them taking care of themselves is the most important thing, regardless of what fans are saying and, you know, people on Twitter and commenters and all that sort of thing. Them taking care of themselves is like absolutely the most paramount thing. And to see them do it on such a public platform for everyone to see is like, wow, okay, wow, I do have the power to do that. I do need to put myself first and not think about what anyone else is going to say or the public in general is going to say. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, it's so often that we don't appreciate and have compassion for high level athletes as humans. And I love that point. Like, this is their job, yes, but if they're not all the way feeling good about any aspect of how they do their job to show up to it, they're not going to do well. That goes for anybody doing their job, whoever they are, not even athletes. So I think that's a great way to look at it. I think that there is a trickle effect for athletes to be able to feel like they can speak now. There's so many people doing it now, men, women, across all sports. And I think it's just an important thing to keep talking about. Do you feel that like in your own journey, that the fact that they're Black women, that there are different kinds and extra kinds of stressors that they face in the public eye and competing? And if so, how do you view that? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think just in general, as a Black woman, Malcolm X said it best, the most disrespected woman or the most disrespected person is the Black woman. We have not only the struggle of being a woman versus being a man, but we are Black. I mean, that puts us already in a box in a corner that a lot of people create negative stereotypes around. We'll think about Serena Williams, Michelle Obama, the negative things said about them based on their physical appearance when things saying, oh, she looks like a monkey, she looks like this, she looks like that, anything like that is like, wait a minute, you know? What about her is it that you don't like? Oh, well, you know what it is. It's their skin color. And I think their visibility allows people to see Black women as a whole, not only their mental health, but their political stance, their cultural beliefs. From every aspect, we're able to see who they are as people. And I think it gives a broader perspective of what it means to be a Black woman, of what a Black woman looks like, because there is no cookie cutter answer to what that looks like. And so to see who they are as people, I think allows space for a broader perspective of what, what it means to be a Black woman, of what a Black woman looks like, of what she thinks, of what she stands for. And yeah, I just think that's very important like for them to be outright about who they are. Yep, outright, unapologetic, like this is me, this is who I am. If you had the opportunity to speak to a group of young Black girls, middle school age maybe, who are in their sport, what would you want to say to them? 
Mm, okay. I want to tell them that their work is not in vain. And regardless of the amount of exposure that they're getting, just their presence alone is a lot. Just their showing up means the world to someone younger than them, regardless of how good they are, how far they go in the, their sport. Their presence alone means something to someone that they have no idea about. A lot of the stories I hear about people seeing me play are times that I remember personally for myself. Oh, that game you played against UCLA. And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I, I remember that game, but you're telling me from your experience what that meant to you, what that meant to your daughter. And for me, those are moments I'm just in myself and I don't realize the impact sometimes that it has on others. So I mean, even people mentioning, oh yeah, I remember you from a rec ball league. My daughter was three years old and she saw you out there. And I was like, I wasn't any good in rec ball. And they're like, yeah, you were out there on the mound in the circle. And I was like, okay, yeah, I see exactly what you're saying. So I think just their presence alone is not, it's not lost on them or on anyone because people see them even if they don't realize that. I think that would be probably what I would tell them. Yeah, I think that's, that's just very important to realize that regardless of if you're, you ever get better or anything like that, like people see you out there representing yourself, representing your family. They take note of that and they see the importance in it. Absolutely. Oh, that's super inspiring and great. Yeah, I'm getting a little emotional because it's exactly what I said to my daughter when we saw you. Like, look at her. Let's go. Like brown and black people showing up, being themselves, claiming the space, Mm -hmm. claiming what they deserve, not let anyone tell you you can't, figuring out a way, figuring out a way. So I really, really appreciate it. Is there anything else you'd like to share today about anything that we've talked about or anything we haven't had a chance to touch on that you'd love to like have people hear or know about before we say goodbye today? Hmm. I should have prepared something for this part. (laughs) (laughs) No, I want it to come from your heart. And if it's nothing, that's fine too. I mean, I just want to give you the chance to be able to, I've asked all the questions. I just want to give you the chance to be able to bring or say or contribute in any way that you want. A lot of people are going to be listening to this. So no pressure, but like whatever you'd like to say. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah, I want to reiterate kind of my last point. With the rise of the amount of Black girls in softball, that all Black girls playing softball in any sport that's not traditionally Black all of them should be celebrated regardless of if they make it to D1 or D3 or NAIA. Like it is a feat alone in itself. And it is so important that they all be recognized in the exact same way, regardless of if they make it as far as the moon, they are still important. Their presence is still so important for anyone else coming after them to see their presence and their performance. So just always be on your best, always show your best face and know that there's someone out there watching you that you have no idea about who is taking examples from you and taking strength and just notes from you, taking note of your presence and what you mean to them. So yeah, always be on your best. Thank you so much because you are representing not just yourself, but like you said, your family, where you come from, other Black people. So I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. 
I mean, I think we could talk for hours. I know. We will. We'll have another chance. Okay, good. good. <laughs> but thank you so much for being here and taking the time. I yeah, mean, you really, course. really are helping and inspiring a lot of people by just being you. So I really appreciate you. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. One of my favorite things about our Sportsypreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at sportsepreneur. Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Sportsypreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. While we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsepreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide.